I love when those who write the lyrics in, in uh, hymns include great and deep theology that applies to us uh, the second stanza where uh, we repeated, uh, my feet are firm held by his grace. That's this life. And then, looking to the future, his face forever to behold. Now, how do we get to that point? Of feet firm held by his grace every single day of our life that we live here on this earth. And then to be in the place someday where his face forever to behold. Now, we'll be doing more than that, but that will be what makes that place uh, the place where we would desire to be. It's either his face forever to behold or his face never to behold. And that's what this passage speaks to us of. Last week we talked about how uh, Paul has moved from talking about uh, justification to sanctification. Now, if you're visiting with us Don't worry. I always want to use the correct theological terms, but we also always want to explain those. We're not impressed just by theological terms. But justification, uh, to to sum it up, is the act of God uh, giving salvation to us, accomplishing salvation for us. But there's more to the Christian life than just that initial act where we receive Jesus Christ by faith because he's given us a new heart that enables us to do that. But now in the book of Romans, he's he's moving to sanctification, which is a process, not a boom, one-time act that is declared, that takes place, but it is a a definitive break with sin that then is a process through the rest of our life of becoming more and more like Jesus. Now, I want to give you, uh, and I I put on uh, under community groups, uh, if you want to look what I'm about to read to you, the definition of sanctification, uh, that's on page 9, under number 2. And this comes from our shorter catechism. The shorter catechism is uh, from our Westminster Standards, which we believe is a good summary of what the Bible teaches. But uh, the catechism is a question-answer uh, whereby we can, we can teach this. And so... In the question, what is sanctification, uh, there we see the answer. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace. So instead of an act of God's free grace, which is justification, it is a work. So it's an ongoing thing. That's, the, that's one distinction. 
whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God. So because of sin in our life, because of Adam, that image is not just tainted, it's destroyed. And so he renews that and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. Now, we're going to talk more about that today. We talked about it last week as well. But there we have, uh, and I want you to think, how would you summarize that to somebody? How would you, how would you explain that to uh, a child? Because there, there are ways to do that. How do you explain it to yourself? So let's pick up with our scripture reading today in uh, Romans 6. Verse 15, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and have been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness. I'd underline that if I were underlining I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. But just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawless, uh, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. There's that word again. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, but what what fruit uh, were you getting in that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have been slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we would ask now in these moments for you to open your word up to us. Will you give us understanding? Will you cause your spirit to move among us to, uh, to bring us conviction and desire for repentance and give us follow-through and give us joy in understanding who we are in Christ? Will you work among us now? Will you? We ask for this in the precious name of Jesus.
Amen. We pick up with uh, verse 15, and I call this in, in the outline the next objection. Now, the reason I, I say that is this, is as we've gone through this book of Romans, we have seen how, how Paul will present a concept, and then he will preempt the next objection. He will anticipate what somebody somewhere is going to say, and, and more than just one person, but in all likelihood this would be a big objection, if it were not addressed. And I have to wonder how many of these might have been his own objections before God gave him a new heart. We don't have any way of knowing. But he uh, began uh, Romans 6 with just one of those. Uh, and this, this one in uh, verse 15 is, is basically parallel. Uh, the beginning of Romans 6, he said, Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? And you remember we dealt with that whole issue that, that someone somewhere would say, Oh, well, if, if when I sin... God's grace is highlighted, and he gets glory for that, then, then I guess I, sh I should go on sinning so that he will get the glory. And he anticipates that, and he says, God forbid that, that anyone who claims the name of Christ would ever do that. And, and his argument was, that look, when, when you're in Christ, you're, you've become dead to sin and alive in Christ. And therefore, you're identified differently. As you know, I like to use the term uh, children of the living God. And so, what he's saying is because of who we are, we are children of the living God. We are Christ followers. That's our identity. And that's why sin is not appropriate for us because we don't have to sin any longer. That was last week, the whole argument there. That we die to sin and live to Christ. And therefore, I'm not bound to sin. I, I, don't, I don't have to do that any longer. And so when I do that, it's out of character for me. And so last week we talked about how instead of identifying ourselves almost in an excuse way, saying, well, you know, we're all just a bunch of sinners. We, we all do that. Well, for the believer, instead of that, we, we instead should say, I am a child of the living God who sometimes sins. And that will be that constant reminder that we've got to deal with it. And yet what Christ did on the cross was enough to deal with it. So even though it's out of character for us, there doesn't come a point where we sin and we, we quit being a child of the living God. He doesn't work that way. 
because what Jesus did on the cross was enough. Now, we, we move down to this next objection in verse 15. Looks pretty parallel. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Or God forbid. Now let me start by pointing out something. Uh, in, in, it's in the Greek structure, but you don't have to just trust me on that because you can see a little bit of it reflected in how they've uh, translated uh, these two sentences at first look, it looks like they're, they're completely parallel. But uh, the first verse, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Did you notice? Continue in sin. That one is the, the present tense, which means, are we to keep on sinning? Are we to continually sin? Are we to make sin our lifestyle that grace may abound is basically what he was saying there. But here in verse 15, it's a different tense. And it means, shall we commit occasional sin as opposed to a lifestyle? You know, okay, Paul, you've addressed, oh, we, can't, we can't have a lifestyle of sin. But what about the occasional sin? It, Maybe, maybe that's okay that grace may abound. Or because we're not under the law, but under grace. And Paul says again, God forbid. You know, one commentator talking about that last one, he said it's like Paul is now addressing those who Say, okay, I get it, I can't have a lifestyle of sin. But how about if I take a night off every once in a while? That's basically the difference between those two. But he answers it in the absolute same way. No way. No, you child of a living God. And he tells him why. He gives the answer. Basically, everyone is a slave. Strange answer initially, but let's, let's dig into that. Verse 16, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Now, our tendency when we read in the Scripture about uh, slaves or slavery is to think of the shameful way that people were brought to America, primarily from Africa, and how they were treated here in the United States. And we tend to think of that that kind of slavery. Well, obviously, this was long before that. So that's not what, what Paul had in mind. He was talking about a Roman slavery. And I'm not saying it's better or worse than what took place in this country, but it was different. 
So we need to understand more about what would the, these people have thought of when he talks about uh, you are uh, slaves of one or the other. In terms of in, in Rome, about a third of the population, get this, a third of the population in Rome in the first century were slaves. That's a lot. In fact, there were, there were so many that at one point they, they thought about, uh, let's have the slaves all dress in the, in the same color. You know, I don't know what it would have been, but, you know, we think maybe of prisoners all in orange or something. Whatever the color, that let, so that everybody would know they're slaves. And they decided, oh, that's probably not a good idea. Then they'll know how many of them there are, and there might be an uprising. So they decided not to do that. So you have about a third that are actually our slaves, and that would have been reflected in the church too. And then you have another number of free men who at one time were slaves. So probably over half of the people that he's, he's talking to actually experienced slavery, and, and certainly the other half would understand it. So he's using that as the argument because it's something that, that they get. Now, here is a principle of, of slavery, I think, in every era and in, in wherever slavery is found, and that is slavery requires obedience to the master. That's the case, whoever or whatever your master is. So Paul is saying that we are all slaves to a master. The only question is, who is your master? And that's what he's presenting to them. The other unique thing, uh, which is uncharacteristic of most human slavery, at least that I'm aware of, is in talking uh, about you being slaves, Paul, he's implying you can choose your master. You know, which one will you choose? And we might think, well, that's where the, the illustration breaks down, obviously. What slaves choose a master? But in Roman slavery, it happened if someone was poor, hungry, destitute, if they were desperate enough, they could offer themselves to a master in order to be their slave, in order to be fed and have a place to live, and so on. And so that was not unknown when he talks about offering yourself. So here's the thing. When you offer yourself you don't get to choose the terms of your slavery. You don't get to say, yes, I'm offering as, as uh, you know, you will be my master, but I would like this and this and this. It doesn't work that way. When you offer yourself, you are on the terms of that master. And that's what Paul's warning of. 
So what will it be? He talks about the believer's identity again. And he talks about us being slaves to righteousness. Verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. By the way, don't ever forget that, that, that sin is not just about outward action. Don't ever limit it to that. Sin comes from the heart. Our actions come from what's in our heart. So he says, But thanks be to God that you who are once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Now there were, let's, let's go backwards in, in time a little bit, there were those that Jesus was speaking to when he was walking the earth that wanted to argue that they were absolutely free. Jesus had just said, uh, he had said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He had just made that statement. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham. We're Jews, offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it? that you say you will become free. And now he's defining what he's talking about by freedom and and not being free. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So he's saying, you Jews, you think you're free. But I'm talking on a different level. If you sin, that becomes your master. And he was telling them why they needed to be set free. And then he talks about uh, presenting our, our members, verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Now, that almost seems out of place, uh, but what he's basically saying here. Uh, when he says, I'm speaking in human terms, he's almost apologizing uh, for previously and continuing to use slavery as an illustration of life before Christ and life after Christ. And any illustration is going to be flawed, but he's basically saying, look, I'm using this because you all understand about slavery. So this will help me illustrate the, the, the point I want to get across about the Lord and about what this means in your life. And then he continues to use it. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now. So he's saying that's what you did before. Present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. And when he says present your, your members, that typically would be, be thought of as parts of your body. But it, it's more than that. It's referring to how we act. Showing what we are slaves to by what our actions are. If you're a slave to impurity and lawlessness, 
your actions will be impure and violate God's law. And if we are a slave to righteousness, it will lead to sanctification. Now, the, the word there translated sanctification could have been translated holiness. That gives you insight into the word. Remember our catechism definition. We're enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. In other words, uh, you, you come to Christ... There's a definite break with sin, but, but as we said last week, that doesn't mean you quit sinning, but it means you don't have to sin any longer. And so what should happen is more and more we leave our sinful life behind. Now, what we would all wish is we'd have this break with sin and then we're immediately exactly like Christ but it doesn't really work that way because we still live in this world and because of the world and the flesh and the devil that we talked about last week. So what typically happens is this. We, we come to Christ and there's that break with sin and we grow to be more like Him and then there will be times where we maybe aren't growing as fast and maybe even having difficulties. And so it's, it's more, if I were drawing it on a, a whiteboard. It would be more like this with Christ as our goal here. But we're ever moving toward Him even when it seems like there are setbacks because now the sin that we commit, we deal with. We repent of. We seek to leave it behind. We know we don't have power over it and we need the power of the Holy Spirit in order to become more and more like Christ. So that's the idea of this holiness. And then he goes on and talks about bad fruit and good fruit. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. In other words, you did whatever you wanted. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and, and its end, eternal life. Now here's the picture. <clears throat> it's apple picking season, right? How many of you have been to the mountains? Maybe you go up to uh, Sky Top Orchard uh, up there in Flat Rock, and you say you're going to pick apples, you're really going to get their apple donuts, but <laughs> I know you people. <laughs> so uh, we've been up there, and it, it's, it's a great place. When, when uh, Connie and I and the kids lived in Pennsylvania, we had a bunch of apple trees in our backyard. And uh, we, we were renting a place, and, uh, boy, this time of year, the apples would come, and we, we loved to see them come, and we would eat apples and more apples, and we would try to make applesauce and apple everything and call everybody, come get apples, but we couldn't keep up with them. We had, what, five or six trees out back. I mean, you can imagine they were mature and bearing every year. 
But, but here's the difference. You had, um, what would happen is, if you didn't pick them, somebody didn't pick them, they'd fall down to the ground, and they would get bruised, and they would get worms, and they would get bees, and they would turn smelly and putrid. You get the picture here? It's enough description. The exact same fruit as that beautiful, nourishing, sweet fruit that was on the tree only days before. Paul is saying there are are different kind of fruits. And he said one of them is that putrid. It leads to death when you're a slave to your sin. But the other leads to life. On the city uh, this week, I gave you a quote from Rebecca Manley Pippert. Whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by acceptance. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. And what, what, what she's saying is basically, we all have a God, little g, or big G. All of us. Even if you don't consider yourself religious, Oh, you have a God. Because we all, by nature, are are worshipers. And whatever our God is, that's what controls us. Whatever we think to be the most important thing, that becomes our God, and it is that that we worship, and it is that that we are a slave to. The only question is, who will we be a slave of? You might object and say, well, I'm, I'm a slave of nothing. I am free. I don't care what you say. The more enslaved one is, the more they feel the need to claim their freedom. And so if you're objecting that way in your mind, ask yourself, is that your plight? We could go back to John Calvin who said over 400 years ago, the greater mass of vices anyone is buried under, the more fiercely and bombastically does he extol his freedom. (laughs) The worse vices we're buried under, the more we're going to claim, but I'm free, even though those are swallowing us up. And that's not freedom at all. Now contrast that with how Jesus ended that conversation I referred to earlier in John 8. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. In obedience to Christ, freedom is found. You don't have to obey the Ten Commandments to be a Christian. But you do have to obey them to be free. 
once you are in Christ. If you choose not to obey them, you'll remain a slave to your own selfishness and your own sin, your own will. The other thing I put on the city as a, as a teaser was the, uh, the Bob Dylan song from 1979. I'm looking around. Were any of you alive back then in 19... Maybe a few of you, okay? You got to serve somebody. From his album, Slow Train Coming. You got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. You know what John Lennon of the Beatles did? He wrote a parody of that. He didn't like those words. He admitted it. This is why he, he wrote it. When he wrote, serve yourself. And it was profane and full of profanity. But it showed, as well as anything, the two sides. He didn't like one bit that, that Dylan, at that time at least, was saying, you got to choose the Lord. Because look, what, what everyone's serving someone or something right now. So Paul summarizes this passage, and it's almost like the ultimate summary. It's probably in virtually every gospel presentation, verse 23 for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin pays its slave wages. As one commentator puts, sin is a master who always pays on time and in full. Sin pays us what we deserve, which is death. Separation from God. Never to see His face. As we sang about earlier. What we get from God is not wages when we come to Christ. What we get from God is not what we deserve. When we are a slave of God, we get what we don't deserve. What only... Jesus, who was in our place on the cross, what He deserves to be the Son of God that the Father is well pleased with. And so when we receive Him, then we too are children of the living God who in this life Sometimes sin. How does that work? Trusting in Jesus Christ alone for our eternal life. If you want to know more about that, I want to talk to you more about that. I will be at the front door. That's not the place we can talk about it, but you tell me you want to talk and I will hand you my card and you call me and we will set up a time this week or 
Our pastors will be standing up here and they will talk with you right now about what that means.